in just a moment, you'll be listening to a message that was given by Pastor Kyle Olsfeld of Grace Baptist Church in Pampa, Texas. We encourage you to give attention to the message and to follow along in your Bible. This morning I'd like to ask you to turn to the book of Genesis. And Genesis chapter 19 is where we're going to be for the next few moments. As you're finding your place there, what you will discover in a couple of moments is that we're going to be looking at a story that is familiar to many people who have been in church for any amount of time. I understand that not everyone will be as familiar with the details of this story. So I'm going to try to give a quick summary as we make our way through this so that we are all uh, generally in the same ballpark by way of understanding. But before we get to the text, I want to share something that has happened to me on more than one occasion. I will not assume that it's ever happened to you, though I think it's probable that this has happened to you at least once. But what has happened to me on different occasions is this. I have lost something. I've lost something. Now, Someone may say, what would you have lost? You seem so put together. You seem so structured and ordered. What would you have lost? Oh, goodness, the list is long. I've lost tools. I've lost keys. I've lost money. I've lost accessories to things that no longer worked because the accessories to those things were no longer present. The list could go on and on. Those things over time that I have lost. Now, if you can relate to me on this matter of losing things at some point, I want us to consider this, that there are different reasons for why we have lost things. Now, I'm not going to deal with all of them today, but there are at least two reasons why I have lost things. These seem to be the most predominant reasons. The first one would be this, I was careless with the item. I don't know if you've ever done this, but like for myself, I've taken a particular item and I've just set it somewhere mindlessly thinking, oh, I'll remember where I put it. I'll remember where I set it. I've got it in a safe spot. No problem. Only problem is, is I was careless and I wasn't really engaged in what I was doing. And so my carelessness helped me lose a particular item. But it could have also been something like this. Just in the busyness of everything that was going on, maybe in the haste of certain activities taking place, an item was lost, an item was was somehow discarded, whatever it was, and, and I was incapable of finding it. So I've lost items. Those are two of the reasons why I have lost them. And again, this is true of me, maybe not so much true of you, but some of you probably understand what I'm talking about. And that is this, didn't know I lost it until I needed it. I didn't know I'd lost that tool until I was trying to find the tool. I didn't know I'd lost my keys until I needed my keys for that particular door. I I didn't know I had lost my money till I went to go get the money and the money wasn't there. I, I didn't even know I'd lost it until I needed it. And then once I realized this thing is lost, man, it's frustrating. 
You ever been there? I know I've got that tool somewhere. Where is it? I just had those keys just a couple of days ago. Where are the keys? It can be so frustrating when you know you had it, but you've lost it. You don't know where you lost it or it wouldn't be lost. Now, as it relates to a lost item, I think we know this to be true. Sometimes we find that item. And that's a glorious moment. Sometimes, though, we never find the item again. Lost forever somewhere out there. And then this happens as well. Sometimes we find the item, but by the time we have found it, we no longer need it. Or it's no longer of value to us. We found the tool, but the project's over. We found the keys, but we've already had a new set made. Whatever it may be, we have found it, but it now serves no purpose, and finding it seems pointless. So we know this. I just want to summarize this and, and, and have us think about this statement. It is never a good thing to lose something of purpose and value. It's never a good thing to lose something of purpose and value. Now, as we think on that, as we hopefully give that a little bit of attention, I want us to think about two characters that we read about in the first parts of the book of Genesis. In these opening chapters of Genesis, we read of a man by the name of Abraham and his wife, Sarah. We know that they're an older couple by the time we're introduced to them, and we know that God said to Abraham, I want you to leave your home and I want you to go to a country that I'm going to show you. And Abraham conveyed that message to Sarah and together they picked up their roots. They picked up everything that, that was precious to them, that, that would have been essential to them in this journey that they would soon find themselves in or on. And they're making their way to where God is going to one day show them. Someone else we read about in the story of Abraham and Sarah is a nephew that they have by the name of Lot. So you've got Abraham and Sarah and Lot who accompanies him or them with his family. And as you read through the story, what you find is that the scripture says is that Abraham was an extremely wealthy man. He had a lot of livestock, which would have been an indication of wealth in their day. But he was just a very, very wealthy man. And the scripture lets us know that Lot, though he was not at all near the level of wealth of his uncle Abraham, Lot had done well for himself as well. So Lot had his family and Lot had his his livestock and all that would have traveled in his group. And then you've got Abraham and Sarah and everything that they had. And scripture lets us know that there came a time where there was conflict between the herdsmen of Abraham and the herdsmen of Lot. And so Abraham did something that he didn't have to do. 
Abraham was gracious to Lot and basically said this. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. Hey, Lot, it's time that we go our separate ways. We need to go separate directions. And, and here's what I'm willing to do. I am willing, if you decide to go right, to go left. And if you decide to go left, I will go right. I want this to end peaceably, essentially, Abraham says. So whatever you choose, whatever you decide, I will go the opposite direction and this friction that exists can be resolved. So as you read through the story, you find that Lot takes Abraham up on the offer, and he somehow does a survey of the land, and he sees that over toward Jordan that it's a well-watered area. And apparently the wheels began turning for Lot and how this would benefit him, how this would aid him and all of his cattle, all of his livestock. And so... Lot says to Abraham, I'm going this direction, to which Abraham honored his word and went the opposite direction. But when Lot went toward Jordan, he also went toward the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. A lot of us know what Sodom and Gomorrah represents and, and what it kind of typified in their day. It represented and typified one of the most godless, wicked societies that could have existed. They are not known for righteousness. They are not known for their, their godliness. No, they were known for wickedness. They were known for, for unrighteousness. And, and what they're most noted for is the homosexual lifestyle that they embraced and practiced without shame. That was the culture of Sodom and Gomorrah, and that is the culture that Lot eventually found himself in with his family. He was no longer just in the region. He was now a part of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah on a daily basis. The scripture lets us know that God had his fill of the ways of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so as a result of God being fed up with the ways of Sodom and Gomorrah, God made the declaration that he was going to be destroying them. But before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, he let Abraham know about it. So here's Abraham understanding where Lot and Lot's family now live. Abraham understanding the declaration that God has given, Abraham began pleading for mercy for Sodom and Gomorrah on behalf of Lot and his family. God, if you find 50 righteous souls, would you please spare the land to which God says, yes, I'll spare the land for 50 righteous souls. We know that Abraham apparently started thinking about that and thought, well, that number's kind of high for those types of people. Why don't we back that down a little bit and see if God will be okay with a lesser number? So Abraham gives another number to which God says, yes, for that number, if there are that many righteous souls, I'll spare the land. It eventually makes its way through the bargaining process between Abraham and God down to the number of 10 God, if there are 10 righteous souls, will you spare the land? And God says, yes. But what you find in the story is that there are not even 10 righteous souls 
in all of Sodom and Gomorrah. Not ten righteous souls in these cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So what is God going to do? God is going to destroy the land. And once again, in his grace and in his mercy, not only did God let Abraham know that he was going to destroy the city, he let Lot know that the cities would be destroyed. And Lot is told, you need to get out of here. You need to get out of here with your family. This is what you need to do. You need to escape because of the oncoming or impending judgment. So I want us to notice, I want us to notice what Lot does in verse number 14 of Genesis 19. In verse number 14, it says, And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters. So Lot has been in Sodom and Gomorrah long enough that his daughters have found husbands there. And so Lot goes out to the sons-in-laws and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. So Lot is very clear, is he not? This is the intention of God. This is what's going to take place. This is what's going to happen. The Lord is going to destroy this city. But most of us know what the response of the sons-in-law were. It says, but he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. It says that he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. What does it mean to be as one who mocked? What does that statement mean? The idea is this, is that the sons-in-law just thought Lot was joking. They, they didn't take the message of judgment serious. They, they, they didn't you know, hear what Lot said and, and put any kind of stock in this whatsoever. Lot comes to them and says, listen, God is going to destroy the land. God is going to overthrow the land. And basically what the sons-in-laws said to Lot was, yeah, whatever. Ha, good one, Lot. That's funny. Now, if we'll think on this for just a moment, I want us to see what Lot lost over time. This isn't very deep, this isn't very profound, but I think it's pretty important. I want us to think about what Lot lost in his years in that region and in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot lost something very important, and that was his credibility. Lot lost his credibility. With who? With his own family. God comes to Lot and says, I'm destroying the cities. I'm going to wipe them out. You need to get out of here. You need to rescue yourselves. You need to save yourselves. Get your family and get out of here. So Lot goes and he pleads with his kids and their spouses. And they don't take the man serious. He lost his credibility. Now, the question could be asked, like the process of losing anything else, how did Lot lose his credibility? 
I mean, if, if his own sons-in-law and their, and their wives, his daughters, would not listen to him, how did Lot lose his credibility? Well, the answer that a lot of people, that many people would like to jump to would be this, that it was the issue of compromise. That Lot should have never found himself there in that region in the first place. He should have never moved to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and, and no doubt that, that plays a part of it. But it could have been so many little things that led to his loss of credibility. Not just one item, not just one issue, not just one particular act, but many different things that contributed to him losing his credibility. But nonetheless, it is clear in this story that with his own family, Lot had no credibility whatsoever. And the unfortunate thing is this. He didn't even know he had lost it till he realized he needed it. Before this messenger appears and says that Sodom and Gomorrah will be destroyed, Lot most likely assumed everything was fine. My kids love me. My in-laws love me. I mean, everything's going fine. Everything's going good. We've got a good relationship. All is well. He didn't even know he had lost credibility till the day he needed it and he no longer had it. So what did that lead to? Well, it led to the destruction of his daughters and their husbands. Those kids were lost in that destruction, in part, because Lot had no influence in their lives. Because he had surrendered credibility at some point in the past. That which was of purpose and that which was of value was completely lost. And for Lot... That was something that would never be regained. It was too late. Now this morning, I want us to think about the similarities between the story of Lot and where we're at today. How many of us would acknowledge and, and confess this morning that we're not exactly living in the godliest of nations in the godliest of times? I mean, that's the world that we're living in. We're not exactly known for being a godly nation or a righteous nation anymore. No, kind of like Sodom and Gomorrah, we seem to be embracing everything that's perverted and everything that is vile in the eyes of God. That seems to be the world that we're a part of. That seems to be the world that we're living in. And for people who have any kind of spiritual depth or spiritual awareness... Here's what kind of looms in the back of our mind, and here's what just kind of lurks in those, in those dark places that we don't always talk about, that at some point, at some point, God is going to have to judge our nation for the sin that we're living in and the sinful lifestyle that we seem to promote and flaunt. It seems as though judgment is coming our way, and if it does come our way, it's deserved. I don't see how we could argue such a statement or such a thought. That being so, here's what seems to happen. As our world seems to be declining and as lives seem to be deteriorating, 
people of a spiritual mindset begin to develop a burden for those who have no concern for the things of God. You've probably seen this happen or witnessed it at some point. You know, there, there's somebody who begins to have some kind of an awareness, some kind of an awakening that, man, this world is in bad shape and, and we can't keep going on this way forever. God's going to judge. And, and, and it, even without God's judgment, you're making a mess of your life and you're going to regret this. And so the person who begins to have this awareness and this awakening and this burden that begins to grow in them, Here's what happens many times. They began to express their burden to the ones that they care about. And you're making some bad decisions with your family. You're making some bad decisions with your spouse. You're making some bad decisions here and there. Whatever it is, you're, you're making some bad decisions. You're going to regret this at some point. We, we've all witnessed the one who has this newfound burden for one who's not living for the Lord as they ought. And here's what we've witnessed on so many occasions. The one who has the newfound burden is distraught. And why are they distraught? Because it seems like what they are saying is falling on deaf ears. tried to talk to my kids. I've tried to talk to my family members. I've tried to talk to my grandkids. I've tried to talk to this person in my life. I've tried to talk to this person and they just won't listen. Why won't they listen? Now, I understand and, and, and please hear me whenever I say this. I understand there are a certain number of people that we will never, ever, ever be able to reach because they are so determined to live their life of ungodliness. But I think there is a, a painful truth that a lot of us don't like to acknowledge sometimes as it relates to our ineffectiveness in having an impact on others. And what we don't like to acknowledge and what we don't like to talk about is this. In the past, we lost our credibility. We just didn't know it until we needed it. We lost our credibility. How did we lose our credibility? Well, I mean, it could be through any number of ways. It could be through the area of compromise. It could be through the area of worldliness. It, it could be so many ways in, in which we have sacrificed our credibility and, and we didn't even realize we had done it until we were trying to make a difference in someone else's life. And then it's like it hits us in the face. There's a reason why they don't take us serious. Because of how we have lived in front of them for so long. Have we ever stopped to think why the worldly, ungodly people aren't too impressed with what's going on in a church like ours? Because they're not ignorant. They're, they're not without some discernment. 
They look at how the family unit looks. They, they, they consider how that husband and wife interact. They, they see how the kids are living. They, they see what's important to us. And, and here's what they're able to determine more times than not, that outside of the activity of going to church on a weekly basis, there's really not a nickel's worth of difference between them and the person who's trying to, to convey a burden to them now. Your marriage is no better than mine. Your kids are no better than mine. Your, your situation is no better than mine. So you go to church. Good for you. Get off my case. We've lost our credibility in so many ways as believers. We didn't even realize it until we needed it. And you know this, and, and I don't mean to just keep repeating myself or repeating things that you already know, but, but sometimes we never get that credibility back. No matter how we try to rectify the, the situation, no matter how hard we, we may work at, at rebuilding things, we never get that credibility back. Sometimes we get it, but it's too late with certain people in our lives. And sometimes the one that we care about the most are the ones that we'll never have any impact on. And so all we can hope for at that point is to maybe have some impact in someone else's life. I wanna challenge us this morning and I wanna encourage us this morning to think about this truth that really there's nothing more important or more valuable than our testimony, which is obviously attached to our credibility. If you want to have influence, you have to have credibility. You have to have it. End of discussion. If you've appreciated this message from Kyle Olsfeld of Grace Baptist Church, let us know by contacting us on our website at gbcpampa.com or on our Facebook page, Grace Baptist Church, Pampa, Texas.